This is the Quick Slants Podcast. What is up, Packers fans? Welcome back to the Quick Slants Podcast at Game on Wisconsin. I'm your host, Jason Perrone. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason Perrone. You can follow Game on Wisconsin at Game on WI. Going to be a bit of a longer show for real this time because I am going to get you to a conversation that I had with former Packers guard Mike Wall, who was gracious enough to come back on the show for the third time and talk about the 2022 Green Bay Packers. He also spent some time talking about his former teammate and recent Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee Leroy Butler, a podcast that he does with former Packers running back Amon Green called On My Block. And his passion project, Process to Perform, where Mike helps coach athletes through getting them them ready to take the next step in their sports journey, uh, whether that's be to being preparing for high school, college football, pro football, pro sports of any kind. Uh, Mike has been doing that for a long time, and he also has a podcast called Process to Perform, where he gives a lot of great coaching insight, a lot of great athlete development insight as well as has some really good guests on that show. So um, stick around because the conversation with Mike was fantastic as always, and I'm so appreciative for him coming on and spending some time here. But before we get to that, there was a preseason game. The Packers and the 49ers uh, met at the end of last week, and we got the first chance to watch some of the players that we wanted to watch play. Jordan Love started the game, uh, played a full half, and did some good things, did some not-so-great things. We had a chance to see some young players take the field and play. We saw first-round pick Quay Walker uh, get out there and play a little bit. Um, Saw Romeo Dobbs get out there. He caught a touchdown pass. He he did uh, more really good things that lead lead us to believe that he's going to be an integral part of this offense. Uh, it was one preseason game, and it's been broken down quite a bit, so I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it and talk about my particular thoughts because it was only one game, and I don't think there's any reason to get too high or too low on anything that we saw on Friday other than let's see if the Packers can string together a second game, show improvement, especially Love. Can he show improvement? Can some of the players who struggled take a step forward? Can they fix some of the mistakes that they made? Can the guys that performed well put another game together and continue to perform well? Can the special teams continue to take steps forward? Who's going who's gonna to place kick for the Packers? Burkich was cut after a rough game on Friday. He had a really bad shank of a field goal. Just can't have that in the pros. And we know Mason Crosby is going to be the kicker for the Green Bay Packers once this season starts, but he's still on the PUP, and he hasn't been able to get out there and practice yet. He's probably hopefully getting close. Remember when he talked about the procedure he had on his right knee, said it was kind of like an oil change, like a tune-up. So hopefully he'll be ready to go, or the Packers are going to be in trouble when it comes to the the place-kicking game. So um, they got joint practices coming up this week against the New with the New Orleans Saints. I think that's going to be a really good thing for some of the veterans who can get a chance to play against other players and not have to play in a preseason game. They can be in a little bit more of a controlled environment and hopefully keep themselves healthy, avoid injuries. Really good news on Sunday as Elton Jenkins, Christian Watson, and Robert Tunyon were all activated off the PUP list. All three participated in practice 
on Sunday. Elton Jenkins incredibly injured at the end of November, and it looks like he's got a chance to play earlier in the season than not. Now, he may not be ready for week one against the Vikings, but for him to be back already and practicing is very, very good news. And I know that no two knee injuries are alike, and there was no reason to think that Jenkins was going to run into the same issues that David Bakhtiari has run into in his recovery from ACL surgery. Bakhtiari, by the way, still on PUP, is not out there practicing yet. But Jenkins is, is a really important piece because of his versatility and they can move him around and he solves a lot of problems by coming back. Now, if Bakhtiari can come back as well, that solves even more problems. But I think the Packers are in pretty good shape with Jenkins coming back and then they can plug and play the guys that they like um, up front. And the offensive line, you know, they were okay. They weren't great on in, in Friday's game. But I think, again, it's, it's the first game action this team has had for a while. And so, like I said before, I don't want to get too high or too low on anything, but Christian Watson getting out there is helpful. Obviously, the Packers are going to need him in the passing game in some capacity. If he can be a part of that, if he can excel, if he can get out there and play in a game and show that he's ready to go, they're going to need that production. Robert Tunyon, huge, huge boost at tight end where the Packers were extremely thin already. Tyler Davis did not have a good game on Friday. So the tight end position was really a big question mark from a pass-catching standpoint because Josiah DeGuara really is not a pure tight end in the way that this offense runs and what he's was brought in to do and what we've seen him do so far. Outside of that, you got Mercedes Lewis, who is always great as a tight end, but he's not a pass-catching threat at this point in his career. And when he comes in, he's, he's mostly going to be blocking. So the Packers really needed that dude to step up at tight end Robert Tunyon obviously can certainly be that if he's healthy and actually ready to go so that was some really really great news for the Packers on Sunday more practices coming up again this week they uh, they've joint practiced in the past uh, we think back to a couple of years ago when they had joint practices with the Houston Texans those did get pretty spirited uh, there were some injuries that that happened in practice as guys got a little chippy um, and you got guys that are fighting for jobs and, and playing hard and treating this practice like it's it's a game. And I understand that. There's some guys that right now are getting the only shot they're going to get to make the NFL. And so if it's a difference between them making the team or not, they're going to go a little bit harder, a little bit extra in practice, and that can mean some extra bumps and bruises. So fingers crossed that the Packers and the Saints both come out of everything okay and that they both can improve and gain from the joint practices what both of them want to. So another game upcoming this week, obviously, against the Saints. We'll have more analysis and breakdown of that. But for this particular week, I'm going to turn it over to my conversation with Mike Wall, starting with uh, his story of how the On My Block podcast came about between he and Amon Green and talks about some other great Packers topics. So enjoy the conversation, everybody. Thanks, as always, everyone, for supporting and if there's anything you want to hear about or you want to get mentioned on the show or any questions you want answered, of course, tweet me. I'm at Jason Perone. Without any further ado, thanks so much again, everybody, for listening. And here's the conversation with former Packers guard Mike Wall. I was going to ask you about On My Block with Amon. Obviously, <clears throat> obviously a great show. It's very you know, it's got that that Packers theme to it. But you guys talk about the uh, the NFL. So who came up with that idea? Who's taking credit for that that genius idea? Oh, as far as the podcasts. Oh, um, that's a good question. I think, you know, I think somebody just emailed uh, us from that Believe Network. 
and said, uh, he said, hey, do you want to do a, they wanted me to do a Navy show two years ago, and I got to watch college football. And so um, I was like, I, I was kind of waffling, and I said, well, hey, I got one of my best friends, uh, Tom Wagner, was a 97 grad, and he would, he would love to do a Navy football show. And he didn't play. He didn't play Navy football, but he would love to do the show. So I was like, "What? Well, what? What if I bring on a co-host?" And they're like, "Ah, they're kind of waffling on it." And then the next year, they said, "Hey, well, what about a Packers show?" And I said, "Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I don't really have time to like edit and do all the producing and everything. Like, can I just come on a talk and you find somebody else?" And they're like, "What if it's Amon Green?" I said, "Done. Like, job done." Yeah. So it was. It was really that easy. It, it's fun. It's so much fun. We. we you know, we were really good uh, friends and teammates, but it was good to reconnect. And and Amon's got so many different things going on in his life now, and learning about what he's doing and and uh, all the all the gaming and and what he what he's gotten into. But uh, old heads talking sports, you got to be careful because I'll fall into the trap of like, you know, especially with like training camp right now and how easy it is. And these guys can play. Like I was watching. Did you see the Lions first Hard Knocks? I saw some of the highlights. Yeah, I saw some. Okay, of them. so so there's there's like this point where dan campbell who i was with dan in miami dan's a great dude like I, I wish him nothing but the best he they go pads for the first time or full pads for the first time and you remember he's got all the coaches on the coaching staff are you know former players uh-huh. and so like so like i think deuce is just getting into it with the d the d coordinator like and it's almost like man maybe you guys should be worrying about the play or you know, whatever like it's 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 it felt like it was two players going at it you know, during the whole time, like I remember that from Green Bay, like we would be talking, like we would be talking trash to maybe the defensive line coach the entire time, not like the DC and the, and the assistant head coach are going out of John in the whole game. But Dan was, they had a really bad practice, and Dan basically was pleading with them, like to trust, like trust me, we have to be in pads, we have to get prepared, and here's why. And in my mind, I'm just like, what do you? Like, why do you have to plead with these athletes about getting in pads to get ready? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And and part of me is like, well, that's why the Lions are always bad. And part of me is like, no, I, I know players on other teams that are complaining about the same thing. Like, that's just the way of the world now. Like, they don't think they should have to do it. And it's uh, like for for guys that played back in you know two generations ago where we were at pads twice a day, man, it just – I always wonder now how these kids are getting are, – are, their expectations that they're going to be any good when they really don't have any time to prepare. So I was going to ask you kind of to your point earlier, as you said about uh, staying on top of things. So what kind of, what do you have to do to stay in touch with the NFL today, the Packers today, you're not playing. You obviously have a different perspective versus when you're out there every day at camp. And now you have some ties to the organization, but you're talking about it. So what, you know, how do you stay up on all that? I watch a lot of tape. I watch a lot of tape. I will, I'll read, you know, I'll, I'll follow some news stories and, and this and that. And you see things on, you know, different social media. But, you know, the the best insight, like I, you know, anybody can go on and give you the stats or they can give you some, you know, takeaways from what they saw at practice. And I, and I, and I think all that stuff is, listen, anytime you reach the fans, interact with fans is valuable. But the, really the only value I'm going to give you as a listener or as a fan of the Green Bay Packers is like my professional insight. And so I'm going to give you my professional insight. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about how people are playing, what they can do to improve, you know, what the situation is in certain positions and why, like what the, what the stress points are. Um, so I just have to watch tape. And fortunately for, you know, for me, I guess I, I really like watching tape. Right. Yeah. That's helpful. Well, I, obviously the, the low hanging fruit is the offensive line and how big of a topic <clears throat> that's been for the Packers going into this season. And one of the things you guys talked about 
on on my block is is uh, something that I saw being discussed recently on Twitter, which is worst case scenario right now. You've got David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins who are both recovering from major major surgeries, major injuries. Bakhtiari's had a couple setbacks. They didn't bring back Billy Turner, and you and Amon talked about this, right? Hindsight's yeah. always is always twenty twenty. But then now the big thing is, is how are they going to shuffle things around? And it's like, okay, Josh Nyman's going to play left tackle. Okay, that's fine. He did okay in spots last year, but, you know, is he is he going to be able to duplicate that in year two? And then you get a lot of fans that just simply talk about shuffling guys around. Oh, well, let's just kick Royce Newman out to right tackle, and we'll throw, like, Zach Tom, for example, or Sean Ryan in it at right guard. Uh, the cautionary tale of just moving guys around um, I, th- I think we might have talked about it on a previous show here, but what what do you see as the offensive line? Um, you know the the I guess the five right now, and then the cautionary tale of just moving guys around and how it's not just it's not that easy. Assuming that Jenkins and Bakhtiari are out in week one, right? Like they have to go in POP or something after yeah. four weeks. <sighs> This is this is why we brought up Billy. I brought up Billy Turner. I think last week or two weeks ago because the guy's been a solid player for you. Mm-hmm. And I know he's. I think he's moved on to Denver. Yeah. And listen, they made it like last. Adam Stenovich has done an incredible job coaching this unit, and I think he demonstrated like he earned that OC spot in large part because of the job he did with this group in particular with all these injuries last season. Now Billy Turner has done an above average job, like a commendable job playing multiple positions, but then he settled in at right tackle and did a good job for the Green Bay Packers. They brought in, uh, I think, David Kelly from the Tennessee Titans, who was a career backup, and or Dennis Kelly, excuse me. <clears throat> and and then at that the, the Niners game against the best player uh, in the NFC West, or you know defensive end in the uh-huh. NFC West, they put Dennis Kelly against him instead of their starting right tackle, and they moved Billy over because – Yash, who performed well the first time they played in San Francisco, you know, after that first series, played pretty well. Yeah, I, I don't know if they didn't trust. I didn't know what the deal was. That it didn't make any sense. Dennis Kelly got beat a couple times in, in critical situations, and you just kind of – it was kind of a palms-up moment. Like, you know, like, what are we doing? Right. Um, so to get rid of Billy now, especially with those two injuries, I thought was interesting. If you look at, if you look at the starting lineup right now, you know, first of all, Elton Jenkins is a phenomenal player, and it looks like he can play any position. He just seems like one of those kind of kids, but he's not a right tackle yet. So just saying he's coming back from an ACL injury, which is a big deal, and, um, which we've seen with Bakhtiari, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we're going to have him switch positions. Like, that's not a layup by any means, you know? Um, because John Runyon Jr. did such a good job last year uh, from week two on, yeah, I think he's locked into that position. Myers is going to be a stud. I think he's the next coming Corey Lindsley. Like, I just think he's a stud player. He's going to be really good if he gets, you know, if his, if his head's screwed on right. That right guard position, it looks like Royce put on some uh, weight, so he's a little bit more stable in there this year and, then, you know, bigger body. But I think right now Jake Hansen, I think when they came out with the depth chart, Jake Hansen was on top. And that might be because, you know, Royce has to move up to right tackle. But listen, I don't watch practice every day, but, you, I, you know, Rashawn Gary is the real deal. He's a uh, he's a game plan guy this year. We talked about it last year. He's going to be a game plan guy in 2022. Dude, his name's all over the paper. Like mm-hmm. he's killing whoever's playing right tackle. It doesn't matter who's out there. He's killing. He's killing double teams. So you don't have a guy that can play that position at a high level right now. That's all that tells me. I don't even, you know you don't have to watch anything. You just hear what's going on. So I don't know what they do. Uh, they probably move Royce out there. 
I love the idea of Zach Tom, but it, it is really, really early. He's going to be a good player because he's such an athlete, but it's really early. Um, we don't know what Luke Buckus' uh, coaching style is. We don't know if he's as good as Adam said, if it's quite frankly a developing talent when he's by himself. We just don't know that yet. So I, I, I think it's really tough. I think, you know, Yash can go. I, I feel like Yash athletically is a guy that can go in and play. You got GRJ, Myers, and then those other two guys, the Jake Hansen and Royce Newman, if it is. You know, we always kind of – because we have Aaron, you kind of make things work, you know, the way, and, and I think Matt's good at calling plays to kind of mask the problems of that offensive line. But that that's not a really – that's not a great group, considering we were coming from a position of strength. You know, maybe four months ago we are talking about how good this group's going to be with another year under its belt and everybody coming back healthy. This, this doesn't feel that way at all. So in a, I guess, more remedial or, or basic way – the biggest difference between playing tackle and guard, like, you know, fans, again, so-and-so guard gets hurt. Well, just slide Royce back into to right guard and then, mm-hmm. you know, put so-and-so out at right tackle. What is the biggest difference from, and I guess, an athletic standpoint or or even put it in your own words between a right guard and a right tackle in, in terms of the type of athlete that you're looking for and now what you're asking this player to do uh, on this snap versus this snap? between the two positions? Well, let's just look at our defense to talk about it, okay? So let's say we're playing right guard and it's third down and all of a sudden Big 97 comes up against you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, what does he weigh, 310? I mean, something, something like that, explosive, uh, just a, like a bull, just, you know, power moves. Uh, he's got, you know, he's not a, a, a super refined pass rusher, but he's got a couple moves he can wipe hands away and get to the bull. So you've got to be able to set anchor. Your sets have to be, um, you're probably a two-kick guy and not a three-kick guy as far as where he's going to line up on you. So meaning, like, I'm going to have to take two kick slides to get to my position, and then I have to be ready to react. Now I slide out to right tack, and, and that's a hard job. Like, that is a very, very hard job. Um, but you have kind of sidebars like bumpers in, in bowling. You kind of have sidebars on both sides. So as long as your unit kind of tries to create that cup, like your tackle's not setting too wide, he's setting back, your center's getting back. You 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 have some bumpers uh, to some extent in in, uh, in case the guy beats you really bad to one side or the other. You might have a body there that slows him down. You can recover. Now you slide out to tackle, and you know we don't want to bring a tight end and block. We don't want to chip. And all of a sudden you got Rashawn Gary, who's a whole different set of problems. Uh-huh. Right? He's faster. He plays lower with better leverage. He's got better moves, and it's a longer ways to go. It's actually you know I think fundamentally it's not easier but it's not harder to get back to your three kicks and and understand like if i set on kind of a line or almost vertical like there's not really i'm not giving them a ton of options but most tackles and most coaches are teaching you to set a little bit flatter we want to get out and get on them we want to we we want to change up our sets and not be consistent with our sets and all that does is give guys like Rashawn gary an opportunity to get to that what i just call real estate spot under control before you do. And with the right tackle position or the left tackle position, it's all about your real estate spot. Can I get to my real estate spot under control if I can? Like that, the terms of confrontation are going to be dictated by how I get to that confrontation. And at right tackle, I think a large part because of coaching, a little bit because of like, oh God, this guy's fast. I'm a little bit afraid here. We try to, we're inconsistent with how we set. And so we get to these different positions on the field at different times, and we're not under control. And guys like Rashawn Gary make us look like fools. And it just becomes a question of whether or not Aaron's going to pump the ball once or not. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch, and there's some actual football uh, coming up. I know we're, we're recording this before the 49ers take on the, the Green Bay Packers in a preseason game. Um, what do you think of Aaron's comments about, listen, if we're going to play, I don't want to play a series or two. I'd, I'd rather play a, a quarter or, or a half. And, <clears throat> and, again, this goes back to your experience in preseason versus what a lot of starters uh, are dealing with now, which is they may not even suit up at all. It was just kind of drilled into your head back in the day that you were going to play a quarter, you're going to play a half, you're going to play into the third, and you probably weren't going to play the fourth game. Or you know, but I, I remember early in Green Bay, they wanted you to play a series in the fourth game, and we always we thought the same thing that Aaron's saying is basically like, what are we wasting our time for? This does absolutely nothing. You know, if you want us to go through pregame, I, you know, I, I'm not sure why we're doing this. So I think as I got later in my on in my career in Carolina and Seattle, we didn't play that fourth preseason game, and just because what was the point of getting into that one series? And and I think Aaron makes a really good point here. Um, certainly with the team they have right now, that offensive line, young receiving core, or just not, no, nobody has um, kind of stood out as that number one wide receiver yet. We don't know what that, that room's going to look like. You would think that they want a little time. And this is, again, the hard part um, from a fan standpoint, because we don't really see the joint practices that take place against the Saints, for example. I know the, like, the Patriots have two weeks of joint practices. And that's where these guys are really getting valuable time. Right. These preseason games have kind of become meaningless mm-hmm. and or not meaningless is the wrong word. Excuse me. For the starters, the preseason games don't mean as much anymore because they're really using that opportunity to figure out who your second, third right. player is going to be, who's the end of the roster is going to be. You're but you're really getting time now. The value for the first team is when you go to the joint practice, because from a coaching perspective, it's a safe environment. I can call as many places as I want. I can set up situations that I want to work on. And I'm playing against real competition from another camp that doesn't want to see me do well. And I have that added pressure of, you know, players and first team players, they don't really care. This sounds, I want to say this the right way. Um, They care a lot more about that tape of me. Like I care a lot more about that tape of me getting beat by like the chiefs defensive tackle than what the guy in row 64 thinks, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to play, if I'm playing against somebody else, if there's another jersey out there, if there are red jerseys out there and I'm in green and gold still, like you're going to get my best, I promise. It doesn't matter if it's in a game or not a game. I'm, there's no way. How hard do I have to play? I got to play hard enough so you don't beat me. Whatever right. that looks like on that day, that's how hard you're going to, that's what you're going to get out of me. So so the joint practices, Bill Belichick figured this out a, a, a couple of, you know, maybe a decade ago. You're going to get so much more out of those joint practices than you are for the first team than you are for a lot of these preseason games. And, you know, and for that reason, I think right now that's kind of the high watermark of, of, of best business practice for the NFL. Right. Before we get into Leroy, what is your overall take on this year's Packers team? They were on the cusp of, I mean, three years in a row, they had a team that was capable of competing for a championship. They went to the NFC championship game two years in a row. They got stopped short last year, special teams, had their their problems and the offense also struggled a little bit you've got some young uh, receivers Devontae Adams is gone so what is your take on this year's on this year's Packers team and how competitive they can they be are they still a championship contender a short answer yes they're still a championship contender the defense looks on paper like it's going to be really good I'm excited about the young additions to the defensive line bringing Jaron Reed in obviously Devontae Wyatt um 
another year under the belt for some of those guys in the DB. You get Alexander back, which is obviously a, a huge windfall. Uh, Eric Stokes continues to develop. Maybe we, you know, we get Savage back healthy, and then we teach him how to tackle, you know, consistently in the alley. That'll be a really good, you know, win for us. And Rasul Douglas another year, see if he can follow up last year's kind of Cinderella story and, and, and become a, a top level player. Amos has been a good player in this league, and he's going to continue to. So I'm excited about that. Quay Walker kind of solves a lot of problems as far as whether you want to be a nickel and dime all day mm-hmm. because he's such an athlete. So, you know, that, that must be why he, they drafted him, for, you know, with that first pick. And it'll be interesting to see how they use him, how they use Chris Barnes, who did it, you know, for, for my money. He's been a great player for this team for years. Um, so defensively, I, I think it looks great. I'm not – I'm probably one of the few people who doesn't really care about – I mean, I, I Devontae Adams is a phenomenal player, and you, you're losing talent. There's no question about it. However, Aaron Rodgers has done really well without, you know, Devontae in games. He can spread the ball around. These other guys are going to learn how to, you know, learn his system and learn what he wants. And and Aaron is a generational talent that can kind of make people look really good. So I think those numbers, maybe after the first week or two, again, this preseason doesn't help. But after the first week or two, you see those numbers, uh, you know, start to improve. The offensive line now really just becomes the only question mark. Sure. Right, because you you have two what I would call Pro Bowl caliber running backs. Uh, Mercedes Lewis is still a high-level blocker. Uh, maybe you know, maybe Robert Tenney comes back and, and he wants to be a you know a kind of you know three-dimensional tight end and start blocking as well. And uh, you have the makings of a really really good offense because if Tenney's back healthy, he can stretch the field. You have that component that you didn't before, and, and maybe that you know kind of takes some of the pressure off those wide receivers. But gosh, you really got to fix this offensive line. Um, mm-hmm. We'll just have to see what happens. Hopefully those guys come back, like Goody said, uh, earlier than uh, later. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, for sure. A lot to be said there as, as the Packers prep for another season of Super Bowl contention. So, Leroy Butler gets into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, your former teammate. I'll just I'll just let you sh- – if there's a, a story when you first met him, any any anything that you want to share um, to kind of honor him and, and continue to celebrate his finally getting in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which – I think was was very long overdue, and I and I don't think it was hyperbole. You played uh, with him. You you sat on the side or stood on the sidelines and watched him transcend the safety position. So, what can you tell us about your former teammate? Yeah, first of all, it's what it it really was a long time coming. Like it's amazing to me that you can make an all decade team Super Bowl. I mean, have all these accolades, and I just never understand what the. I, I guess I still don't understand what the criteria is, but I'm so happy he made it. I'm so happy for a lot of guys. You know, you talk about Bryant Young, a guy that um, I don't know by any criteria that he necessarily fits in, but it certainly passes the smell test for a guy like me who had to play against him. Mm-hmm. You know, phenomenal player. So a lot of these guys, Tony Baselli, Tony Baselli, just funny story. Like me and Ross Verber are sitting in uh, a locker or excuse, the, the film room one day where you're kind of going through tape. And we turn on a Tony Baselli tape when he was with the Jags. And Ross and I watched this tape twice. Now, Ross was not like a huge tape guy. But he sat there and watched this twice because we were trying to find one play that he didn't execute perfectly. He ran. So so I've seen two people in, I don't know, what, 30 years of football now have perfect games. Tony Baselli and Walter Jones. When they had not one play was bad. And so you just see some of these guys a long time coming. Leroy certainly the same. The thing that I want to say about Leroy is listen if if you walked into a locker room or you you see him on the you see him walking down the street now you, you know you see him in his jersey he's not a physically intimidating guy right like he's he's not the guy that's the first off the bus you, you know what i mean by that like right. he, yeah. he's not like uh nick collins you know he's not the first guy off the bus but Leroy or 
First, and here's the other thing: is it Leroy? Because it was Leroy until I think he got really good, and then it was Leroy. Just go with what. Just go with what. I'm going to call him Leroy because I think when he got, I think I was, I got there when he was really good, and it was Leroy. You well, didn't Amon say it was Roy Lee or one of his or his? Yeah, his, so Roy, his, Roy Lee. So all the boys, yeah, we, yeah, all the boys in the locker room call him. We call him Roy, Roy Lee. Yeah. But so the one thing I think that uh, the reason that a guy like that is is was such a good player is because I always I, I try to talk about this as often as possible because I think it's really important for young athletes. So football is a very violent sport. And the reason that we see dads on the sideline going crazy, coaches yelling all the time, like so much emotion around football and it's so macho and all this stuff is because in the deepest part recesses of our soul, there are people worried that you're going to get hurt, that you're going to get physically beaten, embarrassed, whatever it is. Like it's a violent sport. That's the kind of sport we have. And we manufacture a lot of emotion in football in order to kind of, we call about, you know, getting up. We've got to get up for the game, right? we got to get up emotionally for practice. we got to have our hair on fire. we got to have a stinger, whatever it is, right? Have coaches have all these different terms to talk. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to an emotional level where we feel like we're overcoming our fear and we're going out and, and playing. And, and some guys do that by listening to loud music, banging their head against the wall, um, being super loud, swearing a lot. Some guys would get sick before the games. And something that going into that locker room in 1998, they'd just been to Super Bowls, two Super Bowls. Having guys like uh, uh, Roy Lee, having guys like Reggie, having guys like Santana and Gilbert, having guys like Brett, having guys like Frank. The way that they conduct themselves, and and I want to see this is very, you know, all those guys, but Leroy maybe more than any other because of all those guys, he's probably the least physically intimidating. But the way that guy carried himself and continues to carry himself was like, hey, listen, if you're good, if you put in the time, if you know what you're doing, if you're confident in yourself, if you're confident in yourself, you don't have to manufacture all this emotion. You don't have to act like a tough guy. You don't have to be the macho. You can just go out and kick ass. You can go play you know, play the game you love, You know, beat the person in front of you, enjoy the time with the people that you work with. And that was... I mean, of all the lessons you learn in the NFL, that was probably the most valuable thing I ever learned. It's like confidence is all that really matters. If you have confidence, then you don't have to act a certain way. You don't have to manufacture emotion. You don't have to do all this other stuff. And and there was nobody who personified that, for me at least, better than Leroy Butler. And I, and I think that, amongst you know other things, is why he was, you know, for, for the Green Bay Packers, was a generational player. He had to overcome a lot of adversity to get to where he, he did as a, as a youth and some of the things he had to overcome being a being in special needs and then playing pro sports. And I love the story that Amon told about how Leroy coached him up during a practice uh, when he ran that out and up. I, I love that story. I mean, that's that's what I love. Those are the kind of players as a fan that you hope you have on your team that are helping coach up the other side and giving that pr- perspective and saying, hey, you're not going to fake anybody out if you don't sell this route or do this. You know, those, those are the kind of things I really appreciate. I hear Russell Douglas is kind of doing that a little bit too. Those are some of the things that, that uh, you really appreciate about a player like Leroy. And you think back to your teams and, you know, you guys had, I feel like you were on a lot of really good Packers teams too. And, and that comes with putting a lot of really good talent and having guys like that out there. So any, do you have, have any memories of in practice, uh, him coming in on a blitz, you having to block him or, or, I mean, you wouldn't go one-on-one with a safety, but was there any, any good, uh, collision stories from practice that you can remember so i know that Leroy was really good at, at during in the game he was really good at blitzing and whatnot but you know one thing one of the reasons that roy had such a good career and played so long is because he was smart enough to know when he was uh, outmatched 
And, you know, if he, if he's coming in and he's about to get, if he's about to have a confrontation with a 300 plus pound guy, you know, he was smart enough to know, I, I don't really need this right now. I'll just kind of lay off and practice or I'll, I'll, I'll duck my shoulder and run outside. You know, he's not, some of these guys try to prove something to you and they don't, they do that once or twice and it's over. Like I met Leroy when he was already seven, eight years in by that time. It's, you know, that he doesn't need that. He can beat me in so many other ways. Why try to do the one thing that I'm good at? Mm-hmm. But to, to go back to your point though, you know, Deion, they always talk about Deion Sanders, like running routes for wide receivers and practicing, talking about it. You talk about Rasul Douglas. We used to help Diva Lyman a lot. It, it, that is all the characteristics of like super confident players. You know, I mean, and that's one thing like, you know, you have young athletes and and again, the biggest thing that you want to stock your team full of are truly confident players, players that understand how they get better, players that understand what they have to do to prepare, players that are super confident that they can go out and, and, and figure a way through this thing, because those are the guys that are not unafraid to share information. Right. Those are the guys who are willing to be good teammates because they're not they're not really concerned that you're going to take their job. Right? right. Like the information we put out in the universe, you can do whatever you want with it. I just don't think you can do it as well as I can. And you want those guys. And, and, and Leroy certainly was one of those guys. I talked to Mike about process to perform his endeavor to help athletes and their families prepare mentally and emotionally to improve at their sport, how they could be the best versions of themselves. And he shares a lot of his insights on his podcast process to perform as well as brings on several experts in the field that talk about athlete development. You kind of go across the, the spectrum of all the different sports, too, is, is awesome, because you're not just a football guy, baseball, soccer. You know, it's, it, it's a mindset. It's a mentality. That's what I like about it is, and that's why yeah. I think that's your hook. You know, whether, whether you, you know it or not, that's your hook, is that there's a takeaway from every conversation in every field in some way, shape, or form. So let's say you're sitting in the gym, playing basketball and you hear all the dads on the side, Daniel and pass or shoot, right? Like dumbest thing you can do for a kid. Intuitively, if you walked into that gym, you'd be like, what the hell are those dads doing? Like they're just, what are they trying to be make robots? Like it doesn't make any sense. Right. There's no decision making if you're, if you're telling me what to do every time, same thing with the coach. Right. But we, but we, because we have like insecurities built in from our childhoods and all this other stuff, like we want our kids to make it. You're like, shoot the ball and you go right okay yeah. <laughs> you know that's that's what happens i did the same thing when, I, when they were younger oh that's it well at this age too it, that's all it is it's parents yelling at their kids and it's like all these kids are they hear eight voices right and that's why they, they try to tell you like parents let the coaches coach the hard part is too and and this is why i like talking to people that are in you know, different arenas than i am is you know when you say let the coaches coach well like I could just tell you from my personal experience, being like a professional athlete, professional coach and all, when I go to, you appreciate volunteers. There's no question about it. You appreciate volunteers. And not every kid needs to be at, you know, some kids can play rec level, some kids need to play competitive, whatever it is, right? But um, because we don't have licensing for anything in this country, except for higher level soccer and like maybe race car driving, there's a lot of coaches that are coaching bad like like forget about the techniques and everything they're coaching bad behaviors like the way they approach teaching is very very poor and so you get it i think that's what happens i think that that's honestly what happens more on sidelines and maybe it's because i have a football background you like it's always been so macho but i think parents get nervous about hearing what's being said to their kids or not being said to their kids and they want to just reassure them because they like you they hear some of the stuff that's coming out of these coaches mouths and they go oh my god this isn't right and we don't have any standardized way to assess or at least give us some some um confidence that these guys actually know what they're talking about because there's no licensing program 
Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a mentality. That's one of the biggest, the biggest things is, is the preparation. And you've talked about it before too, how much information we have available to us and how to use that as, as effectively as possible. And realize too, that when kids are, are coming up and even in high school yet, your brain isn't fully developed yet. Right. So it's yeah. like making it make sense to a junior, senior in high school and, and, and things like that. in in terms of their, of their development. And it just, it's, it's an, it's an awesome, awesome program. So if, if somebody, and and you do this actively, right? So if somebody's, if someone's interested in process to perform, how do they get started? Well, you can go to our website, process to perform.com and check out kind of the different options that we have right now. Uh, the other way, to, probably the easiest way to do it, honestly, is to DM me at Michael 68 on Twitter and get started that way. Um, you know, I do, there's different kind of platforms and like we were just talking about, uh, highly accessible. So you can get as many kind of high level coaches on the same platform. And what I've, what I do, I don't work with, like if your kid's just kind of trying to dip their feet in the water, uh, as far as I may like the sport, I might not like, I'm, I'm not the right person for you. If your athlete is like, I, I want to play, you know, I want to be a the star on the varsity team. I want to go to college. I might want to be a professional athlete, but I'm willing to put in that kind of time. That's the kind of program I run um, just because we deal with so much that we, you know, we deal with technical mastery. We deal with ownership mm-hmm. decisions. We deal with mindset development. And it is, you have to have some aspirational kind of endeavors and, and, and ambition as far as what you want to do, not only this season, but also maybe in the next five, six, seven years. And I think last time we talked, I asked you kind of what was that, sweet spot or ideal age range i mean or mm-hmm. even like a, a starting age range so are you are you mostly high school and up no actually um i'd say the majority of my kids are probably just a function of, of having a son at the time that was 12 or 13 but most of the people i've worked that maybe not most but uh, probably half the people i've worked with 13 years old and up 13 13 to you know middle school and then we have high school kids college kids i work with some pro guys but really it's it, it's the fun thing about working with that age is Hopefully, if you build a good relationship, then I'm not only working with your your son, I'm really working with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not working with you now, I'm working with you for the next, hopefully, what, I don't know, five, 10, 12 years. When we're talking about, hey, you know, hey, this is what I'm dealing with driving home in the car, this is the problems that I'm having. Or, you know, like one of the issues that comes up all the time is, how do we let the athlete drive the conversation in the drive home from the car, right? And one way to do that is the athlete has to go and do a little bit of legwork beforehand and say, hey, dad, when you're at the basketball game today, I want to look, I want to really work on like the, these behaviors, not like how many points I score or what. Hey, I really want to work on getting into transition defense. I really want to work on setting screens with my feet in the ground. I really want to, like stuff that doesn't take as much skill, but takes a lot of focus and effort. And now that kid's driving the conversation. So we get back in the car. You're not like, oh man, you only had four rebounds today. You suck. It's like, you know, or you got to box out hard or whatever. It's like, I need to work on this stuff. You look at this stuff. Now I'm owning it. You're looking at it. Our conversation is a lot more, a lot healthier. Yeah. More productive. Definitely more productive. It's a great thing. And, it, and the parents also being a part of the process too, because I think sometimes it's like, okay, go spend an hour with your coach and learn a bunch of stuff and be great. And then I'll see the results next week at your game. And it just, that's why it's called process to perform. Yeah, right? It's a process. It, it's really, I think the hardest roadblock that we have is, and this makes a lot of sense like intuitively is, you know, you want, like parents just want to send their kids to a coach. So I'll get a lot of questions like, cool, where are you located? I'm like, well, it's virtual coaching. Like we need, there's two things you need to do to get really good. You need to practice hard 
or you know, play, play, give give your best focus and effort in games, and then you need to have that tape so you can learn learn how to watch tape and learn how to watch up yourself and, and and kind of study yourself, identify, assess, and correct your areas of opportunity off of tape. You need to learn how to do that. If you learn how to do those two things really well, chances are you're going to probably be a pretty good athlete. Right, you'll be a pretty good team player, and so we try to cover a lot of the second part of that and then we can kind of help you create opportunities for the first part as well a lot of the stuff that you see from these private trainers because there's so many experts out there like it's really it's really bad business practices and just because you get a lot of reps doesn't mean you get a lot of quality reps i can't tell you how many things i see on like rivals max preps um a lot of these like you know d-line coaches o-line coaches where i'm like just from a movement pattern standpoint or finishing through the whistle or just being dirty or holding or all these different things. You just go, man, this is really bad business practice. You're not getting the player any better. And when they get to a certain level, they're going to get their lunch ate and they're going to wonder why. Because there's different, you know, different requirements for different sports as far as skill sports versus like a football or rugby where you can just kind of get good quickly. But like basketball, like if you don't play basketball every day, man, it's it'll be t- unless you're seven foot four, it'll be really tough to be good. For sure. Well, and the other thing is, is, is they're pushing clubs so much on these kids now that they have to either commit and decide and the parents are spending the money. So it's like, hey, if I'm spending this kind of money, you have to play. And it kind of yes. takes baseball, basketball, football away from them. And you ha- and you, you hone in on that one sport. Yeah, it, especially when I when you say that, I mean soccer's true now too, but I really think about about AAU and that club baseball scene is insane. Mm-hmm. And and football and, and 7 on 7's getting this way too a little bit where where you just you have to make a commitment and the problem is listen, kids are going to get better at a younger age now because there's so many like it's an 8 or 19 billion dollar industry in the United States right now these sports. Mm-hmm. So there's so many coaches, brands uh, organizations that are making money off these kids that these kids are going to get better at a young age. Now, whether their ceiling's higher, whether it's not as high, you know, Dr. Andrews, the, the surgeon says like, listen, if you're not giving these kids two months off and switching sports, like you're, you're doing them a disservice. And we see that with basketball players in particular from AAU that are getting like injuries at 19 years old that they never used to get. But unfortunately, like you, you just, as a parent, it's almost irresponsible in some ways to think that your kid's going to be a good baseball player if the other kids are playing on playing a year-round sport and all of a sudden you're letting them go play soccer, basketball, all these other things, which is very, very healthy in some ways. But the truth is, man, it, it's going to be really hard to be as good a batter as somebody who bats every day. It's just mm-hmm. going to be hard. Well, Mike, thank you very much for some time once again. It's always good to get some insights and perfect timing as we're getting ready for the Packers to actually start playing some real football. Remind everybody again where they can find you on Twitter and uh, where they can find Process to Perform. Yeah, sure. Hit me up on Twitter, at MikeWall68, Process to Perform on Instagram. And, of course, you can visit our website at processtoperform.com. Jason, thanks again for having me, man. Always great to have Mike on the show, hear his insights, hear his stories. Never disappoints. Some really great insight into the development of athletes today. Some of his great, great thoughts, as always, about the Green Bay Packers. And On My Block is such a great podcast. Hope everyone gets a chance to check that out at some point. We'll have Mike back on again for sure uh, later in the season to talk a little bit more about the development of the offensive line and how things are looking at that point. So thanks, everybody, for for tuning in and listening. It's going to be another great week of uh, anticipation building up to the next preseason game where a bunch of overreactions are definitely coming our way, but that is a rite of passage for Green Bay Packers fans in terms of preseason football. I think it's a sign of us being very antsy to get to the 2022 regular season, and we've we've not had Packers football for a long time, and once again, championship aspirations, a lot of nervous energy, and all that comes together. 
And that is what makes us Green Bay Packers fans. So, again, everybody, thanks again. You can follow me. I'm on Twitter at Jason Perrone. You can follow Game On Wisconsin at Game On WI. Hope everybody is staying safe and staying cool wherever they're at. Enjoy this week's game. And as always, Go Pack Go. Off play action, back to the throw. Prescott with time. Rifles it over the middle through the hands of Cooper. Intercepted. Jair Alexander to the 20. Cutting left, 25-30. He's got an escort to the 35-40. Hurdles in the face.